0: from the offices of Melman, Castanetti, Rosen, and Thomas. Just footsteps from the White House, the heart of the nation's capital. This is 14th NG, the podcast sitting at the intersection of business and policy. Here's your host. And I am your host, Dean Hinkson, Our regular listeners here on the 14th and G podcast are accustomed to C.R. Wooters behind the microphone. C.R. has gone on to bigger and better things, and I'd like to thank him for founding and originating the 14th and G podcast. And I'm very pleased to be joined by my first guest, Dr. James Wallner. He's a senior fellow at the R Street Institute and professorial lecturer at American University in their Department of Government. He's written books on Senate procedure and is a regular contributor to the Washington Examiner. But I got to know James way back when. We were both Senate staffers. and Today we're going to get back together to talk about the coming Senate impeachment trial. James, thanks so much for being here with me today. I guess the first question is really the most basic. What does a Senate impeachment trial look like?
1: I think the, the short answer is no one has a clue yeah. what it's going to look like. We've only had you know, three presidential or two presidential impeachment trials in our nation's history, Andrew Johnson and 1868, and then Bill Clinton, obviously. And the other impeachment trials that we've had, I mean, the Senate hasn't had a lot. They've mostly been lower level judges. I believe it's like eight or nine have been convicted over time. I think when we were in the Senate, there was an impeachment trial. I don't even remember who it was, because it was something that was done in like an afternoon by unanimous consent. Right. So these are things that under a contested situation, I don't it's it's almost like it's uncharted territory, even though it's not, because no one remembers or has that muscle memory, even from the Clinton days, uh, about how it's going to go. And I think if you look at the coverage right now of this situation, that reveals this lack of muscle memory. People are talking about the fact that the McConnell and Schumer can't agree on a rules package, and that's going to create chaos and uncertainty, and everything will just will spin off into the universe. and the Senate has impeachment rules. There are 20, 26 of them. There's 26 rules on the books. You can read them, right? That spell out in pretty great detail, if you ask me, much more detailed than the actual Senate rules spell out, what happens, what senators do, how they do it, and when they do it. It spells out the schedule. It sets everything in stone, and it's all automatic. And the idea, though, that that somehow is chaos— or that people don't even know that that exists, I think speaks to this unfamiliarity with the proceedings that we may potentially be about to embark on.
0: Well, let's talk about that because we're, we're, here, uh, we're here on Thursday. It looks like today, uh, the House Judiciary Committee will vote out at least two articles of impeachment uh, against President Trump. We would expect those to be on the floor of the House next week. As you said, the rules are automatic when the House managers uh, present those articles of impeachment to the Senate the Senate uh, pretty automatically and pretty quickly goes into a trial mode. So when we, when we look in on the Senate, the, the carpet's still blue, the walls are still hung in blue and gold silk, but the Chief Justice is sitting in the chair, and uh, all the Senators are at their desks. So, so what are we looking at? Uh, this is the Senate uh, in, in a trial mode, and uh, what sort of differences uh, might the typical C-SPAN two viewer notice?
1: Well, if they can recover from the stroke they just had by seeing all the senators inside the chamber at the (laughs) same time not talking, then, you know, maybe they'll, we'll find out. But no, I think the rules are very specific. The House managers present their articles of impeachment. And having done so, they then go back to the House and the Senate organizes itself for a trial. And this is all spelled out in the rules. In this case, the Chief Justice will preside. That's, I think, Rule 4. I think it's Rule 4 of the Senate um, impeachment rules and the Constitution as well. And so you have a situation where um, the the Chief Justice will be notified automatically. The rules say that the presiding officer tells the Chief Justice to come on over at this time and we'll get started, basically. And then you have the Chief Justice administered an oath. And then the Chief Justice administers all the other Senators' oaths. And then... After having done so, there's a proclamation that it's time to get started and then they invite the house back in and then they have a trial. That's the most basic form of it. And it's all automatic. And one of the things you're seeing right now is that Democrats are considering in terms of leverage because we have all this debate about these different rules packages that members want and that, or that they feel that we need to govern this process. And James,
0: this is the idea and, and, and McConnell has put this out there. Uh, we can go two paths. We can essentially hear the opening arguments of the house managers and proceed to some disposition of the articles, uh, or we can, uh, have a more, uh, a fuller trial setting with witnesses. And so, uh, is 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 a rules package going to govern uh, which one of those two paths we go down or if we're left uh, if we're left to the just to the rules themselves does that dictate one path or the other
1: it certainly could dictate um, the shorter path if you can uh, adopt a rules package that that basically gets rid of the old rules for this trial and puts in new rules that require the senate to go down that path and that's what the Senate tried to do in 1999. I don't know if you remember or we know people who were there at the time, but there was a bipartisan desire in the Senate to avoid the Clinton impeachment trial in 98, late 98. And there was a lot of bipartisan talks. And the leaders on both sides, Daschle and Lott, both presented to their conferences a package of a rules package that says, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to have a lot of debate on the front end. And then we're going to have a vote to, dis, to impeach. And if that vote doesn't get the this, the, it'll be a test vote. And if it doesn't clear the test vote, then we're not going to go through with the witnesses and everything else. That didn't work. A lot of Republicans particularly got very upset and pushed back against that, and said, no, we want the fuller process. And so a lot of these intra-party dynamics are ultimately going to govern what happens there. But they, but for supplementary rules to be adopted before the trial starts, they have to pass a resolution before the articles of impeachment arrive in the Senate.
0: And is that a simple majority?
1: That's uh, for the rules of, a, to adopt rules of impeachment? Yes. Um, I'm not, this is the Senate, so I will say I'm not <laughs> sure. I, I don't think it's a simple majority. Mm-hmm. The rules are very clear. When the Senate is sitting as a court of impeachment or a court on impeachment, It stipulates there's no debate. It stipulates the chairs decide certain questions, all of these other things. And that's all spelled out. If the Senate wants to say we don't want to call a witness and a senator makes a motion to call a witness, then that's a simple majority vote. Right. It's because it's under the rules. The rules say it's a simple majority vote. There's no debate. The rules don't say any resolution to scrap these rules and create new rules is a simple majority vote. Do you you follow me? So I don't, and so because of that, I don't think that it's a simple majority vote. I think that the leaders are suggesting that it is, and I think they're wrong. Um, I think also the Senate can't adopt, Senate can do whatever it wants. But in theory, at least the Senate to adopt new rules, has to be acting as a legislative body, not as a court of impeachment.
0: So that has to be done before the Senate goes into a trial setting. Correct. And And the
1: rules only govern the Senate in the trial setting.
0: Correct. And what you're talking about, I mean, the Senate can do whatever it wants. And is that what you're talking about there is the nuclear option, mm-hmm. right? It is uh, it's a simple majority vote uh, to override the ruling of the chair uh, to create the rule, um, as opposed to going through the, the two thirds process for a traditional rules change.
1: Correct. The two thirds to end debate on a rule that is required by Rule 22. Um, and so because this presumably would be a, a, a rule to, to change a rule or ignore a rule or break a rule or whatever, you would have to create a new precedent, which is the nuclear option. So that's, that's right. That's what I think it is. It's a little bit murky, like everything in the Senate rules. And then you get to the impeachment rules, which is a whole different level of murkiness. But again, the questions, questions of evidence are decided via simple majority vote. Questions of witnesses are decided via simple majority vote. But questions on whether or not to scrap all 26 of the Senate impeachment rules and impose new impeachment rules, that's a different thing, in my opinion. And that's not addressed in the rules. And the rules are very clear that when they are silent, the Senate rules apply.
0: So when when, when the House managers come over, they, they present the articles of impeachment, they are essentially acting as prosecutors. Correct.
1: Think about the impeachment inquiry as the indictment or the, you know, the articles is the indictment. The inquiry is the grand jury process. I would imagine if you're going to kind of approximate, I'm not a lawyer, but the, what happens in a court of law. And then you get over to the Senate and then the Senate's obviously they're the jury, if you will.
0: And who provides the defense for the president?
1: The president or the president's counsel.
0: Will be on the mm-hmm. floor. Can they challenge, uh, mm-hmm. can they, they can challenge offerings made by the house managers? So I'm,
1: I'm fairly certain they can.
0: I know in the Clinton
1: impeachment trial that some of the supplementary rules that were adopted, they had two resolutions, one adopted prior to the beginning of the trial, SRES 16, another one adopted at the end of January, SRES 30, that structured things like depositions and which witnesses are going to be called. They allotted certain blocks of time to the president's counsel after certain procedures had uh, unfolded to make motions and to challenge evidence and other things. So it's certainly been the practice to allow them to do so. And I'm fairly confident that the rules themselves, um, the 26 impeachment rules, do allow for that to happen. But again, we would have to go back and, and look for in detail.
0: Right. James, uh, you know, the, 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 one of the fascinating aspects of this to me is, uh, is the fact that the chief justice sits in the chair of the presiding officer. Uh, typically, uh, that person is the designee, uh, is the president pro tem or, or his designee. Um, and/or the vice President who sits as the president of the Senate. Now McConnell has said, uh, has said a number of times that he's at the mercy of 51 in, in this trial setting. Uh, he traditionally controls the floor by what's called the right of first recognition, largely the majority leader uh, the majority leader is the first recognized and maintains control of the floor. How does that change when it is not the majority party's designee in, in the chair the presiding officer and that's the chief justice
1: now this is one of my rabbit holes I love going down yeah all if you want to change overnight how the Senate works just just call on you know whatever whoever you want to other than the majority leader and there's nothing that the majority leader can do about it
0: there's nothing if whoever's sitting in the chair they can just say
1: I call on that person over there and that's it what, what are you going to do you could appeal the ruling of the chair and they're going to have a vote and you create a new precedent but then the presiding officer has to decide if he wants to follow that precedent or not. You can't fundamentally force the presiding officer, especially if it's the vice president whom you don't control or the chief justice whom you don't have no control over, to, to call on you. And our entire regime in the Senate and how it operates today is built on this precedent. It's fascinating to me. Um, But no, you're right. The presiding officer is at the mercy of 51 because the Senate is in control of the Senate and its rules. The Constitution, Article 1, Section 5 gives it authority over its proceedings. As long as it doesn't violate other constitutional provisions, it can make whatever rules it wants. So whatever the presiding officer rules is subject to appeal. And the presiding officer... In the House, sometimes they'll ignore people. Sometimes they won't recognize people. But in the Senate, we've never, we've only gone down that road once. That was with John C. Calhoun. Because if you don't control the person in the chair, you're not going to give them the kind of authority and deference to, uh, to run roughshod over you. And so in an impeachment setting, it's even more pronounced because there is no debate unless you go into closed session.
0: It goes automatically to a roll call vote.
1: Right. So you would submit a motion in writing to the chair, I mean, to the presiding officer of the chair, and then the chair would then say, okay, we're going to have a vote on whatever motion that you just made relating to the trial, or in theory, anything. And because there's no debate, it really neutralizes McConnell's advantage and the right of first recognition.
0: So how, how do the rules deal with, with dilatory motions uh, that are that are just put out there to consume time uh, and run the clock? Is, is Are there provisions... To I mean, the, the presiding
1: that? officer can—I mean, I think the fact that you decide them without debate is is the way in which the Senate envisions dealing with dilatory motions. Now the question is a vote just to vote being dilatory is a problem. But the only way to deal with that would be to allow the presiding officer the authority not to recognize or to put questions for a vote that senators made. And that goes back to the point I just made. They're not— In my opinion they're not going to do that certainly for a prolonged period of time because they can't control the chair that's why the senate has never become the house so there's the only way the senate can do anything is by is by voting basically right and so ultimately that's the backstop and so when you get to a dilatory vote the senate has no real way of dealing with that but in my experience and as you know senators aren't going to sit around and vote on things one after the other ad nauseum to avoid something they know is going to happen anyway, especially when they think they're going to lose. It's amazing how quickly the fight goes out of you. The second you're convinced you're going to lose, Right? You know, it's like it's gone. And I think the politics of effort is a big deal that we often overlook. I think a lot of the, the, the frustration and, and uncertainty and, and worry that we see in this town right now surrounding the impeachment rules relates to one simple fact. The 26 impeachment rules are going to force the senators to work on Saturdays. and fridays unheard of and mondays unheard of. and thursdays unless they adjourn or otherwise change them which is what they're trying to do and that's the thing the effort we i would encourage your listeners not to overlook effort these are human beings who have lives and hopes and dreams and things they want to do and and fears and uncertainties and things they don't want to do and you put all that together and you put them in a place with four walls and a ceiling and a thermostat and
0: and James not just uh, not just uh, forced to work, uh, forced to be in the Senate chamber uh, up to six days a week, up to six hours a day, but at their desks, not talking, uh, not talking. In fact, the, uh, the the proclamation of the Sergeant at Arms: all persons are commanded to keep silence on pain of imprisonment, while the House of Representatives is exhibiting yeah. articles of impeachment. <sighs> uh so no talking those are going to
1: be very boisterous places no
0: phones
1: (laughs) (laughs) i support the no phones on the floor thing i always thought it was a good idea
0: i think everyone thought when uh when senator bird uh passed away that uh that they were gonna uh they were gonna uh, phones were gonna be a lot freer for staff on the floor that's the one place you could go as a staffer
1: and not have to answer emails it was great you have a whole bank of phones in the cloakroom that you can go into and somebody can track you down. It's it's nice. It's a little antiquated, but it's nice.
0: I'm, I may have gotten uh, I may have gotten dinged once or twice by the uh, by the floor guys oh. for for having my phone out.
1: How dare you! <laughs> How dare you!
0: Now, this so as you said, the Senate impeachment uh, trial is governed by these twenty six rules. Uh, perhaps there is uh, perhaps there is an agreement uh, beforehand on process these rules are h- how have they come about how have they been developed over time they've been revised periodically I would imagine uh, over over the history of the country
1: yeah like most things in the Senate they're precedential based right they they're based in what's happened in the past and then over time the Senate has chosen to codify some of those precedents write them down adopt them as formal rules others are they're also just practices. I mean, I think it's the rules and the practices. And so you have the 1868 trial of Johnson, which is where the kind of first big chunk of impeachment rules come from. And the ones we have today are a descendant of those and, and they've been modified and changed over the years. But, but that's where they come from. And they've the last revision was in the mid 80s, 86, I believe. And there's a whole host of precedents, which for your listeners, a precedent is it's something like a common law or like a court ruling. Right, Right. So you have statutory, think about statutory law versus kind of common law, right? The law
0: that's on the books uh, and precedent is the law of prior practice.
1: Correct. And the precedent's not meant to contradict the law in the books. It's meant to fill it in, fill in the gray areas, you know, where it's silent or ambiguous, that sort of stuff, at least in my kind of Senate-centric view of things. And so when you reach into the Senate Rules and Practices book that governs impeachment, you're going to see a whole bunch of things that happen in the past you know march 14th seven you know 1895 senator x did this and then senator y did this and then the senate voted and this is what they decided right and then that's the precedent and then from that you the challenge is to extract a general principle that you can then say ought to guide senators behavior today in a similar or analogous situation
0: and will, will, will the parliamentarian, you know, we're, we're accustomed to the presiding officer taking the advice of the parliamentarian. Uh, sometimes they'll feed them the language uh, for calling the vote. You know, that's, that's, they sit right below on the rostrum uh, there below the presiding officer's chair. Will, uh, will the chief justice uh, be similarly advised? And will senators have access to the advice of the parliamentarian during the course of the trial?
1: Absolutely. I mean, the parliamentarian is a great resource in the Senate. I know you've worked with them before as well. Very knowledgeable. The Senate couldn't function in its current form in the current environment without them. So it's very, very important. The presiding officer is most certainly, I mean, I don't think John Roberts is an uh, expert on all of the Senate precedents relating to impeachment trials. So he's going to rely on any expertise he can. What I find interesting is if you start to push the envelope a little bit, and I'm not sure how this would look, how it would occur, because there is no debate. I mean, you can go behind closed doors and then we wouldn't see it on the outside. But if the presiding officer has to start making very creative rulings, because the Senate is being asked to decide things that's never decided in the past, that is truly unprecedented, it'll be very interesting because I can imagine senators being sensitive to an outsider kind of coming in and taking a side on a, in, a, in a very heated and contested debate. Bait, if that makes sense. And so, and I can also imagine John Roberts not being thrilled about being placed in that position either. I, Certainly, I, I agree I, with I, that. I'm not sure that he would want that. And, and one of the things that the rules do envision, the standing rules and the impeachment rules, is that the presiding officer can choose to just submit these questions directly to the Senate without first ruling on them. And I think if I were John Roberts and, and you get into a situation where it is a very contested environment on the floor for whatever reason, the parliamentarian's advice may not be necessarily necessarily as precise as you want or it may not be as analogous as you want or it may not even be related and therefore you are in a position of you you need to be very careful and my guess is he would probably just submit it to the senate to decide because after all they're the authority not him
0: and let's have a roll call right
1: he's there as an administrative role only
0: can he break ties yes Uh, he can break ties
1: I, i looked this up recently i was i was flabbergasted Wow. It didn't make any sense. I would have said no. And so there is an occasion, and I, I I don't have this precise uh, occasion off the top of my head, but there was two times in, I think, the same trial in the, in the 19th century. Of course, all the crazy stuff happens in the 19th century, but in the late 19th century, where the Chief Justice voted to break a tie.
0: Of course, nowadays, we know the tie-breaking authority of the Vice President. <laughs> it's typically the only time uh, he actually uh, takes the chair as president of the Senate uh, mm-hmm. is when there's going to be a very close vote. And the Constitution
1: says, your job is to break ties. The Constitution does not say, Mr. Chief Justice, your job is to break ties. Now, what would be very interesting is if the Chief Justice is there, there's a tie, and then the vice president comes in and votes to break it. Well, that's I a good question, James. I mean, what,
0: what is what is the vice president's role in, in, in an impeachment trial? He is He's constitutionally he's, the president of the Senate.
1: Unless the vice president himself or the president— Where the president is the one being impeached. At that point, then the vice president is no longer the presiding officer of the trial. It's the chief justice. But other than that, any other impeachment, the vice president is still there.
0: And he, but he, in a presidential impeachment or obviously his own impeachment, he has zero role.
1: Correct. As the presiding officer for the impeachment trial, you may be able to argue that he still has a tie-breaking vote. Maybe. I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud here, throwing out ideas. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or is the tie-breaking vote only related to his role as the vice president of the Senate That's the president of the Senate?
0: How about the president pro tem, uh, which currently which is typically the senior member of the majority party and currently is uh, Senator Grassley from Iowa? Mm-hmm. Does he have any role in the impeachment?
1: Well, when it's the in any other impeachment, technically the president pro tem would be the one presiding because uh, since the Truman administration, I don't think we've really had vice presidents sit around. In the Senate, very often, but in a big impeachment, the Vice President's going to come in. If it's like a big, you know, judge or something, in this case, it's the Chief Justice, so he's going. His only role is to literally pick up the phone, or actually, you know, get the Secretary of the Senate to pick up the phone, somebody, and call the Chief Justice and say, "Hey, get over here. We got a trial, and we need you." Right. And then he swears on the oath, administers the oath, and that's it. And that's it. That's, that's it. his only role. That's it. And then he's a senator again.
0: James, I want to ask you a question. I, I was really interested in your take on, on why the Senate, uh, you, you've written about this, why the Senate cannot give impeachment the Merrick Garland treatment. That is, uh, just simply refuse to take up the articles and, and move on. Why, why is that?
1: Well, I think there's a political reason, and then there's a, a constitutional reason. Politically, let's just start there because I think it's the easiest thing. The end of an impeachment trial is conviction or acquittal. The person who's been impeached will always be impeached. But if they're not convicted, they're acquitted. The Senate rules are very clear about this. If you're a, and Republicans have, in recent weeks, have talked about maybe trying to get this over with as quickly as possible and dismissing the trial or avoiding the trial. That doesn't make much political sense to me. If you are confident that the president will be acquitted, is not going to be convicted, and you don't want the president to be convicted, then why would you want to dismiss the trial? Because at the end, it's acquittal. Right. The only thing is, well, maybe stuff comes out through the course of the trial that may be bad, in which point he may be impeached. Well, then this uh, process is working the way the process ought to work. Correct. And if you just move to dismiss right away, you get a situation where there's this cloud of suspicion. And what did we not know and who was involved? It and looks all like stuff. a cover and, and, up. Yeah, it's a cover up. Exactly. It, it doesn't make much political sense to me. Just like today with Chuck Schumer saying, hey. Nancy Pelosi, please don't send us articles of impeachment right away because we need to get leverage with McConnell on these rules to negotiate over the impeachment trial. But McConnell doesn't want to have articles of impeachment come to the Senate. He doesn't want to have a trial. So how would delaying articles of impeachment give you leverage? in talks with McConnell
0: from Schumer's standpoint. from Schumer's standpoint. Right. Yeah.
1: So I guess my point is if you'd start to just question, I would encourage your listeners to question what's happening, question what I'm saying, but question what they're reading in the paper, what people are telling them, because oftentimes, as you know, in this town, the received wisdom is right. only about an inch deep. And it doesn't make much sense once you scratch the surface.
0: So uh, let's just explore briefly if there is, In and, and, and we do not think there's uh, 67 senators that would vote to convict what we know now, the articles of impeachment. But if there were a conviction, what happens? Is that automatic removal or does the Senate have to decide on a punishment for conviction? Conviction
1: is automatic re- removal. It's a two-thirds vote. However... There's another vote that can happen immediately after. It's a simple majority vote, and that is whether or not to disqualify from ever running for office again. And so that's a different issue. But conviction is automatic removal at that point. The one thing about 67, I agree with you. I don't think the Senate has the votes to, to convict the president knowing what we know now. I think that the way that the House Democrats have conducted the process thus far hasn't helped them get any more votes, if that makes sense. It's very different than from, say, like the Nixon impeachment hearings. And the Nixon impeachment case is very interesting because if you go back and you look at it, you'll find senators like Bob Dole and Howard Baker, people that we think of today as statesmen, very sober-minded realists, right? Not bomb-throwing crazies on either side, right. who sound a lot like President Trump today talking about the impeachment inquiry talking about the inquiry into Nixon.
0: And these were the men that eventually went to the White House and said, Mr. President, it you changed. can't win a trial.
1: Yeah, and then and guess what happened? They didn't have 67 votes, the president had 80 plus approval ratings, all of this stuff, and all of a sudden one day he didn't. That's
0: the way politics works. Couple of predictions. <laughs> Chief Justice Roberts robes, gold chevrons or no gold chevrons? I mean, how do you not go gold? Right, I mean, you gotta go. I mean, come on,
1: you You gotta go gold. What if he just didn't wear a robe? (laughs) Well, Well, he's like, I'm a grown man. I don't want to show
0: up in a robe. I'm going to wear a suit. I'm not walking around in a robe up here. So Uh, that'd be interesting. I wonder who has the Ringquist. Of course, famously, Chief Justice Ringquist, when he sat in the Clinton impeachment, uh, we think he got it from the Pirates of Penzance, but uh, (laughs) he put three gold chevrons on each sleeve of his robe. So let's go five. Let's go five. Just couple straight up. up five. Maybe six, just double it.
1: Whatever you need to do. Like, why not? He's the chief justice.
0: Skinny trial or the whole deal?
1: I think you end up having to do the whole deal. Now, the whole deal may be skinny because the rules allow it to be skinny. And maybe I'm wrong because I'm not in the Senate. But when senators are being confronted with the question of whether or not they want to nuke the rules to to have a skinny trial that can be, that looks like a cover-up or looks like you're trying to hush this up at the same time that you're saying the House rushed the process. The House is being criticized for rushing the process and being overly partisan. So the Senate Republicans want to push through a overly partisan rules package on a party line vote so that they can rush the process. You can't make this stuff up. Well, and I think that the second more and more people pay attention, I think it becomes harder. So even if you're not going to change your mind, I think it becomes harder to justify if you feel certain in your views. It's still It's difficult to justify just kind of getting rid of this process.
0: The managers make their initial case, their initial presentation of the article. No witnesses have been heard, et cetera. Your options then are what? You can, in the Clinton impeachment, there was a provision made for a motion to dismiss. But is there any reason that the majority could not move to directly to vote on the articles of impeachment?
1: No, they could absolutely vote on articles of impeachment. They There may be a couple motions here or there that you would have to vote on before, but you can vote on the articles of impeachment. You don't, and the majorities I mean, if they don't get a super majority, they're not going to pass them, but, but that's a different issue. There's been times in the past where the Senate has dismissed articles right when they came over in the 20s and in the 30s, but there are unique situations. One, the the, the person impeached was no longer in office. The House asked them to dismiss it. So it's kind of like a prosecutor dropping the case, if you will. Right. Right. Saying like, we're no longer going to do it. So the Senate's like, okay, fine, we're going to. Okay. But the Senate rules, I read the Senate rules as saying, especially in like rule three, I believe, the Senate continues day in and day out, except Sundays, until you vote on articles of impeachment. And once you start voting on articles of impeachment, you don't stop voting on articles of impeachment until you're done.
0: Until you voted all of them. All of articles. them.
1: But now in reality, like Andrew Johnson, there was... I don't know, like 14, 12, I don't know how many there were, but there were a lot. After the first couple of the Senate, like everything, they're going to, why are we going to keep voting on these? We don't need to vote on all these other articles because we already know that we're going to lose. Now, in the case of two, you probably vote on both, but you know, you never know with senators, but you don't, then they can waive it by unanimous consent. But at the end of the day, I read the rules as saying the trial starts when the articles of impeachment arrive with the house managers. And it has to continue until you vote on the articles of impeachment. That tells me that a motion to dismiss is not in order, unless in these extraordinary circumstances where the House is saying, like, the guy is no longer alive, for instance. Like, we're withdrawing our impeachment.
0: James, what is the ability uh, during, the, during the course of the trial? What is the ability? Can the, can the Senate conduct other business? Mm-hmm. Can the Senate switch to the legislative calendar to the executive calendar con- to consider nominations mm-hmm. while the trial is ongoing?
1: So the Senate rules state that a certain time every day that the Senate has to come into session. Other Before that, it can do whatever it wants. And after that, it can adjourn and go back to legislative business. It can adjourn and go back to executive business. And there is precedent for while it's sitting as a court of impeachment and there's a trial ongoing that it can receive messages. So that gets into a situation we're not going to see it now because the trial probably isn't going to happen until January, but say it was the end of a, you know, when you're in a you're running out of time on say government funding or other things and you're trying to get bills through and you have a house message coming over and you need to turn it around real quick because the cloture clock has to be start right away because if it doesn't then you're going to have a shutdown for 20 minutes and it's going to be bad. And so <laughs> because of all that um, that it it is important, I think, that you can still receive messages and conduct that kind of business um, and allow for that kind of housekeeping stuff to uh, to, to happen. But in the in January, I, that's not going to be as important. I don't believe it. Yeah, they can still continue to to be the world's most uh, deliverative HR agency. UB, well, they right? may
0: have a pretty large trade deal to yeah. uh, to contend and with. that's uh, when, and when that's
1: another ahead. fast track process. It's set aside, but. There's, um, they can make a decision. The Senate can do all kinds of things.
0: Do you recall who delivered the closing argument for Bill Clinton in his impeachment trial? I do not. I have had occasion to rewatch it over the years, and, and I would commend you and the folks listening uh, to look it up. Well, I'm going to watch it today. Former Senator Dale Bumpers, oh, bumpers. delivered the closing argument uh, in, in the Clinton impeachment trial. It was, uh, it was a stemwinder, uh, part country lawyer, uh part-tent <laughs> revival. Uh, he had him laughing. He had him crying. If there's anyone out there that can that can uh, that can do a closing argument at the level of Senator Bumpers, then I'm for a full trial.
1: Oh, absolutely! It's we need some entertainment here.
0: Yeah, James. Thank you so much for joining today. This was a this is a great conversation, and hopefully, helped illuminate some of these issues as we uh, as we hurdle toward a, a, an impeachment trial in the United States Senate.
1: Cool. Thanks for having me.